Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. I started writing it in 1988 when things, thank goodness I had a failed record. <laughs> on Atlantic Records, I had That's a, something you don't hear said too often. It's Pippa. Honestly, it's the best. It is the best thing that ever happened to me, because I learned a lot with that failure. And first of all, you learn what you really believe in as an artist, and you understand very quickly that if you don't do something for the right intention, then what that feels like. And I made a promise to myself that I would never compromise on the art ever, ever, ever again, ever. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm still talking to people to this day and learning things because I learned from that failure. And that failure was the greatest gift. So that's why then writing Little Earthquakes was I was writing it to save, well, to save my soul. Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're wrapping up our thoughts on Tori's first album, Little Earthquakes. David. Hey, Eve. How are you? I am doing very well. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm happy to be here. It's a whole new year. Same old me. <laughs> Is it though? I think it's a new you. Maybe not new, but maybe reconditioned. Mm-hmm. Remastered, reconditioned, totally. Revitalized, yes. refurbished, <laughs> reupholstered. I'm doing pretty well. I'm just learning how to navigate the fame that has come along with our walk through this first album being so well received. I'm glad that we decided to stop chasing fame and trying to do what was popular and just being authentic. <laughs> Have you experienced fame since we started this podcast a mere 12 episodes ago? Have I experienced it? Yeah, I've felt my ego grow exponentially. <laughs> I felt it too. Thank you. <laughs> I've become very demanding with everybody in my life. I can vouch. I establish writers for everything. What color jelly beans? Green. I'm really happy that we finally redid Little Earthquakes, and I'm really glad to have like gone through it and to kind of understand my own feelings about it, you know, mm. and to sort of unpack all of that. It was really interesting to do it like 25, 30 years later. I don't know how long it's been, but you know, so long, so many years after I've discovered the album to still know that I, it, how, why it means so much to me and to still know that it does mean so much to me, you know? Mm. I guess we can establish or we have established that that will remain the case for the rest of our lives. We've really put it to the test. Like 20 plus years later, mm, yep, 
Still works. Still resonates. You never would think that like 20 plus years later, you would have like the most interesting or most full conversations about an album. More than we ever had back then. I understand this album so much more now as an adult, as a as a non-teenager. But looking sort of back on that time, I just, I feel like it's destiny. It was meant to be. Meant to be. I definitely have specific memories of being like in middle school listening to this album and I can almost picture it. And that just makes me think of, you know, that Kristen Wiig meme from Bridesmaids that people post. This is like me listening to the same album now I was listening to when I was 13. And I'm like, this shit is fresh. This is good. <laughs> like, it's so oh, true. Oh, this is good. <laughs> Mother comes on and I'm like, damn, this song is good. Damn. Ooh, that intro. Um, I don't mean to embarrass you, David. Since when? <laughs> Since just right now. Since okay. this whole new year. Oh, yeah. New Year's resolution. Don't embarrass David. You know, we'll see how long it lasts. Okay. Um, I don't mean to embarrass you, though, but someone's watching you. Is my camera on my laptop? No. <laughs> Actually, just someone's checked. Watching... I'm like, is the light on? <laughs> <laughs> someone's watching your every sound, David. Oh, it's my God. our co-host for this episode. It's Miss Shay Stymack. Sorry, Mrs. Shay Stymack. Hi, Shay. Hi, guys. How are you? Hey, Shay. Little earth shakes. Mm-hmm. No? <laughs> I have to How say that these, I'm great. And I have to say that these little names that you insert my name into each lyric have become one of my very favorite parts of listening to each episode. Oh. So please never stop. <laughs> great. Us too. Well, no one here knows what that means because we don't do it in the Little Earthquakes episode. So that's a little taster for our Choir Girl episode for the future. For the future. How have you been? Oh, I've been great, actually. I've been pretty good. You know, just navigating life through what we know as the pandemic and uh but things have been good family's good and yeah we had a great holiday season and so yeah i'm really happy to be here with you guys today we invited shay here today because if you don't know shay shay is our historian our archivist and she puts together all our show notes for the show which we couldn't do without shay it's a huge task what she does she compiles all of the quotes for all of the songs compiles interesting facts from all over the internet past and present current internet and past internet which if you know what I mean. It's a big, vast hole, the past internet. So she compiles everything. So we invite, so no one knows this album, I think, better than Shay. And she's already schooled us in the pre-conversation before on certain things. So Shay's here to offer her opinion. But I want to know right away, Shay, how did you connect with this album first? Like, what was your first moment with this album? How did you discover it? And then tell us, as we went through this season, did you like the album more? Were you revisiting your own thoughts more? Well, um... Uh, my little bit of Tori's story, how Tori came into my life, it was actually Under the Pink that um, was the first album that I heard. It was actually God. Um, but shortly after, once I, I fell in love with the few songs that I heard from Under the Pink, I found Little Earthquakes. I don't remember, you know, my first feelings or anything like that um, on first listens, but I do remember that I was 15 and both those albums were what I began to live my life by. Every word, every song was this guiding force for me, which I'm sure is true for so many of us. And the album Little Earthquakes, I did not really listen to in chronological order at first. It was actually China that grabbed me first. Um, and that was mm. the one that I held on to. Yeah. Um, and then as I 
was absorbing the album in you know the following weeks each song became oh this is my favorite no this is my favorite you know each <laughs> one spoke to, to different parts of myself what was the rest of your question i'm sorry did you feel as if you were revisiting the album during this season oh. Right. So in researching for the podcast, I definitely enjoyed reading quotes that I had never heard before or learning little tidbits about it. I don't think it brought any more love for the album to me, just because I don't know that that's possible anyway. But it's definitely opened my eyes to other people's opinions since it's really just been my sister and I that we have had, you know, to bounce ideas off of over the years when it comes to Tori's music. So it's it's really been great to hear other people's thoughts and opinions on each song. So that's been great. David, can you imagine having a sister to grow up with that loves Tori Miss as much as you? No, I don't know how I would feel about that. I'm selfish. I want to hoard things for myself. <laughs> oh, I was thinking like how wonderful it would be to have a, someone in my very own home. Yeah, no. that's how uh, it is now. And that's how it's been for us as adults. But when I was a teenager around this time and in high school, I definitely did have a handful of friends that were just as into Tori as I was. So we did have each other back then. Um, oh, thank God. To, to live it <laughs> through it with. But yeah, it's, I just... Just love that Lindsay loves it as much as I do. I want to rate, so let's start with David. I want to rate the songs from Little Earthquakes in preferred order now. Like how, after going through this season, how we would prefer to listen to them and talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, if anything changed for you through the course of the season. Okay, this is my ranking of Little Earthquakes tracks in order of most to least favorite, I guess. Mother, Little Earthquakes, Girl, Crucify, Winter, Silent All These Years, Precious Things, Tear in Your Hand, Leva, Happy Phantom, China, Me, and a Gun. Tell us if anything changed. You know what? I took this very seriously when I was going to rank these songs, as I always do. And I realized that nothing has changed following these (laughs) conversations. I am stubbornly resistant to change, as always. But no, I actually feel good about that. And having walked through this album, I guess I feel this way after every episode that we do, but particularly after walking through this entire album, I feel like Tori and I have renewed our vows. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> My love for her is unchanged and as strong as it ever was. What dress did you wear? What dress? I mean, who am I kidding? I didn't wear white. I didn't want to embarrass <laughs> myself. Yeah, who do you think you're fooling? Seriously. <laughs> well, like Tori, she wore what? Tori wore the icy blue dress to her wedding because she knew yeah. she wasn't going to fool anyone either. Right. So, yeah, that's a oh, yeah. And I, lo- I love a cloak. So I wore a blue <laughs> cloak. Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The blue of Mary's cloak. Well, I'm offended that I wasn't invited. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> we all were. I was going to ask you to do guest book. Oh, I should have. Yeah. Um, Shay, what are your rankings? Tell us. Well, it's definitely changed over the years. And I, I've always had a hard time choosing favorites or putting this before that one. But for the sake of the show, I listed my... Mine as uh, Little Earthquakes first, then Mother. And I think those Mm. two switch places. Sometimes Mother's first. Um, So Little Earthquakes, Mother, Precious Things, Girl, Happy Phantom, Leather, 
Crucify, Silent All These Years, Winter, Tear in Your Hand, Me and a Gun, and China. I love that you put Happy Phantom as like your fifth. Yeah, that's a good one. I think it's fascinating that you ranked China last when you just shared with us that that was your initial I favorite. know. I know. Isn't that funny? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, What it's happened? <laughs> I know. How did China hurt you? She didn't hurt me, um, but she <laughs> showed up a little too often for a while there and over the years, <laughs> you know, in live performances. And I do yeah. not want to throw any shade. So I hope that that comment doesn't hurt anyone. But yeah, no. you know, we all I would feel pay, certain I would respect. pay full like, ticket price right now vip for just a performance of china today like if i could just give me china and i'll go to the concert it's been a while initially we were like china how can we miss you if you never leave but now (laughs) can't miss you till you're gone (laughs) my ranking i started with precious things i'm shocked that not everybody in the world puts that first so precious things little earthquakes girl crucify mother leather silent all these years winter Happy Phantom, Tear in Your Hand, China, and Me and a Gun. And I'm, it's interesting that we all put China, Me and a Gun, or Me and a Gun, China as the last mm-hmm. two. I just think that Me and a Gun, right. it's not that I don't love it, and it's not that it's not impactful. It's just really hard to listen to, you know? And so you, it's probably the only one I would skip, just because it's like, I can't go there every time. <laughs> so, Eve, have any of your rankings changed as a result of our conversations? I have to say, I'm a little surprised to see you ranking Leather above Silent all these years. Whenever I think of Leather, even after having talked about leather whenever i think of leather i think of the little earthquakes vhs performance of leather where she has that tear running down her face down her cheek so i always feel like i that song is even though it is it's in c isn't it in c it's like in it's like the most accessible song possible that i still feel that there's such an impenetrability to it that i like i there's something about it i don't quite understand and it's accessing for her that kind of something really sad And that's what I think of still whenever I think of leather. And so I I love it. I do love leather. I think my opinion is continuing to shift as a result of this conversation in this moment. Because I'm like, did Tori really write a kind of impenetrable song about penetration? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Those walls are up and the pants are down. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I also thought it would be fun, and you guys can tell me if it's not, but I thought it would be fun if we discussed Rolling Stone's top 35 albums of 1992. Oh, yeah. I want to tell you... Tori Amos, Little Earthquakes, came in number 27. But let me tell you what came in above her. You know, we won't, de- we won't deal with the rest, anything that came in after her. We'll co- just let me tell you what came in prior to number 27. You ready? Number 26 was an album called Television by a band called Television. How do we feel about that? <laughs> Never heard of it. Number 25 was Chris Bell, I Am the Cosmos, who? Uh, We have Eric B. and Rakim, Don't Sweat the Technique, Santana Milagro. Anything that's sticking out right now as it deserves to be there. Was this list compiled in 1992? Yeah, this is an extant list from 1992 from Rolling Stone. This is what they thought in 1992 the best albums of the year were. And that's what I wanted to look back on. Like, they had no idea what they had. I mean, I guess that just goes to show (laughs) where we were um, with mainstream music back then. Even looking at the artists that are behind Tori here on this list, so many of them could have booted any one of the names that you just said <laughs> in a second, yeah. you know? I mean, yeah. David Byrne, Sonic Youth, Lou Reed. Like, oh. these are all artists that are behind those, <laughs> wow. those ones that you just read. So, Morrissey, like so many. Bruce Springsteen is 35. I mean, come on. Oh, my God. 
how can we not acknowledge that Sir Mix-a-Lot ranked at number seven? 20, <laughs> 20 notches above Tori. Jackie Wilson, Lyle Lovett, Cool G Rap, and DJ Polo. Los Lobos came in above Tori Amos. Dr. John. Who are these people? Nana Cherry Homebrew, though, came in at number 24. That's an amazing album, <laughs> I've got to say. Is Buffalo Stance on Homebrew? No, that was her first album. Oh, and Homebrew okay. had Buddy X, Buddy My Friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, moving on. Okay. I'm also shocked <laughs> to see Sean Colvin at number four, because I didn't think she really hit. I knew she had prior albums, but I didn't think she really hit until Sunny Came Home. That's true. That's funny because I knew Sean Colvin. I think with this album, there's a single from this album. The name escapes me right now, but the single didn't come out, I think, for a year later because the video for it is on one of the rock video monthlies, the same one that had Tori and Mrs. God video, the, like the January, February one of 94. That's when I discovered her. What was it called? I had such a moment with Sean Colvin. I loved her for a while there. What happened? She's a good one. <laughs> what happened? Uh, I mean, I still, I still, yeah, you know, if she ever comes on, I'm like, oh, cool, Sean Colvin. But like, I don't know. I just really loved her lyrics back then. She was, mm. she was a prophet. Sean um, Colvin. Yeah, I, I had a... Sean Colvin is the China of your stable of female artists. <laughs> that's, that's a good way of putting it. This is really interesting. I want to know what female musician Tori Amos replaced for you both. And for me, I'll just say she absolutely replaced, no fault of her own, she replaced Sophie B. Hawkins. I was like obsessed with Sophie B. Hawkins, discovered Tori Amos, it was done. So I want to know who, if there's any, who she replaced for you. I don't think she replaced a female artist. I think up until that point, my favorite bands were Men Without Hats and Erasure. Seriously, that's what I was listening to, like, on repeat, for sure. Wait a minute. You think that means I'm gay? Yes. I think you need to do some (laughs) self-reflection. I think you might be gay, David. Yes. Um, What about you, Shay? Yeah, same. She didn't really replace anyone. I was... So it was about 94 that I discovered Tori, and... So before that, it was a lot of Paula Abdul still and definitely the grunge because I was like a freshman in high school. So I was really into, you know, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, all those kind of bands. And then Tori was like everything about her music in my ears was brand new. You know, like I had never Mm. experienced any kind of music like this before. Mm. So, um, yeah, it wasn't really a replacement. It was an awakening of music for me. I love it. I just want to acknowledge that, again, with these 92 rankings, it's pretty satisfying that Tori does rank above both Morrissey and Nine Inch Nails. Yes. Kick those boys where it counts. Yeah. And it's (laughs) impressive, too, that her debut even ranks above the likes of The Cure and Tom Waits. And I have to say that it's totally fine that Tom Waits used my nickname to title his album Bone Machine. Oh, yeah. That's what we've been calling you for years. I know. (laughs) I've always been known as a little bit of a bone machine. Let's talk about Little Earthquakes as a whole, and then let's get into each track and like kind of wrap up. We've received some emails. This is the episode where we read your emails, your Instagram comments when you read us. We read where you read us for either omitting something or incorrectly stating something. But first, we're going to take a little break. This is a new remix. We actually just received it this week. This is from a gentleman named Michael Gearhart. It's a remix of Mother, and we're going to start with a little remix, and we'll be back to talk quote. Quotes. <laughs> 
be attracted to successful people and so when I had it's almost 30 years now when why can't Tori Reid came out mm -hmm. and when that didn't have the success that it, it, it might have had then I learned a huge important lesson about intention and about friends and acquaintances and business acquaintances and, and the music industry. And so what I needed to really understand was um, I need to look in the mirror with everything I'm doing and ask the question, why am I doing this? What is my intention? And hey, some of those rocker dudes in the old days would say, I want hot birds <laughs> and fast cars and that's what I want. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Then that's your intention. That doesn't mean you won't make, make cool music. But I needed to get clear with what my intention was. And then with some amazing people, Eric Ross, Steve Caton, David Zergerson, John Philip Chanel, we went and made Little Earthquakes. Mm -hmm. And that was a very different intention than where I had been, where I had pushed myself, because I had let my vision go after so much rejection in the music industry, turning in songs that, and a path that I wanted to pursue with the piano 
there, then I just ditched it to chase the commercial path. And there's some people that can hold that commercial path, but that isn't, I don't have that energy. That was from Nylon, August 8th, 2017. This is from Hitkrant, Netherlands, March 12th, 1994. Tori says, I started making little earthquakes with a bag full of memories and experience I had to get rid of. A lot of people have said to me about that record, I know precisely what you mean. I understand exactly how you feel. But it wasn't over with that because of the success I lived in a fit, which I emerged from after half a year. I don't think I've really heard her discuss what it was like coming to terms with fame especially because Mm -hmm. she'd been chasing it for so long. I guess it's kind of like a relationship. If that's what you're looking for, you're like spending so much time thinking about finding the person you're going to be with. And then what happens after that? It's like, oh, now I have to figure out what this actually is and how I navigate this. So maybe she was like, I thought I wanted fame. Oh, now I have it. But who am I now? And what do I do with this? Yeah, like I've never thought about what it would be like after. Mm Mm-hmm. Why don't you read this from rollingstone.com, March 30th, 2006. And Shay, you get to be Tori. The anniversary of Little Earthquakes is approaching. What's your perspective on that album now? It's sort of a way to time travel. I have incredible fond memories of that time, but I don't want to be there anymore. It's bittersweet in a way. Although I can smile thinking of that time, I also remember an emptiness that I didn't want to carry for the rest of my life. We read this, I think, in a Little Earthquakes episode, too, if I recall. And didn't Jack Foster offer that he felt that she meant a womb emptiness, like not being able to, not having a baby? Maybe that that Mm. was solved when Tosh was born? Yeah, I think I recall something like that. Isn't music always just a way to time travel? Like, we hear these songs and we're instantly transported back to specific memories. In terms of, like, seeing this quote in the context of bearing children, I think that's being sort of colored by everything we know about Tori. But I don't really think Mm -hmm. that that's what she's saying here. I think she's still talking about, like, the kind of process of self-actualization she was continuing to go through, which is still ongoing, probably, as it is for all of us, but specifically through, like, Boys for Pele where she was coming to terms with fame and finding out who she was as a woman outside of being a musician. And she's also said things like during this period specifically, she wasn't like laughing a lot. So I think she was still integrating a lot of things and that she was fundamentally unhappy for lack of a better way to put it. That's a good way to think about the part where she says, I have fond memories of that time, but I don't want to be there anymore. That sentence kind of makes me a little bit sad. Like, oh, like she doesn't ever want to feel that way again. But what you just said makes more sense to me that she worked through it and she's never going back, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's kind of like saying like, yeah, we had a lot of fun in high school, but I would never want to do that all over again. I know what that's like, except for the fun part. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) From Refinery29 on April 4th, 2015, they ask, when you were recording Little Earthquakes, did you have any idea that it would be such a big deal? What was it like? And Tori says, there was a risk with it because it wasn't like anything else happening at the time because the piano wasn't embraced by the music industry. I wasn't signed to do what I did. I was signed for something very different. And then I went back to what I'd been doing since I was two and a half. So I already had a record deal and they chose not to drop me, but I didn't get a record deal by doing what Little Earthquakes was. I came through the back door and therefore when I was making it, by no means was it an obvious win. 
win. When I turned it into the label, they rejected it. And Doug Morris, who famously said he didn't get it, he and I had a negotiation that if I turned in two new songs, he wouldn't take the piano off and put guitars on the first incarnation of Little Earthquakes. And he didn't. I turned in four songs, and the rest took a while. We went to England, and I started to play live for about a year, and it took a long time for it to get out into the world. And then when it did get out into the world, because it took so long, I was very appreciative that people wanted to come hear me play these songs live. I do think it's nothing short of a miracle that she wasn't dropped after Why Can't Tori Read. Yeah, right? Because we're so, we're always so eager to cancel anything, whether it be a TV show after it airs for two episodes or an album flops. Like, it's really, really remarkable that she got, let's say, a second chance. And I guess it has to be just a testament to what they perceived her talent to be. And of the time, though, I mean, this was early 90s. Once an artist signs a contract, would they have been allowed to do something like that? I mean, was she maybe if she was signed for three album contract, would they have been allowed to say, oh, this first one flopped? You know, the contract is going to be null now. Well, since she was signed, I think, what, to a seven album deal, wasn't it? Or a six album deal, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, even from the beginning? Even from the beginning that they had wow. they had to have such faith in her or they had to have such belief in her first of all but I don't think that that's why they didn't drop her I think they didn't drop her simply because I don't think that they thought her next album is going to be amazing I think they just hadn't decided to drop her maybe you know she had said even in a VH1 storytellers that she was writing songs for Cher she was writing songs for everybody trying to get a song sold so maybe they were trying to figure out if they had her already in this deal maybe they, you know maybe they were just trying to figure out where they could place her and also like at the time too i agree with you shay that like i'd like to think it was like this magical time where where a and r guys were developing artists and really putting time into tori and let's like see where she can go and let's let her grow and nurture her but i really think it was like if we drop her then someone else will pick her up and what if she does do something good you know let's just kind of keep her Well, it was probably a little bit of both, right? Yeah, sprinkling of all. (laughs) Yeah, and we have to remember, like, pre-internet, obviously, it was a lot harder for people to find music, and you had to grow an artist and let them find an audience. I feel like if this were to happen now, that things would be very different, and she would have been dropped. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think in some ways you're right, you know, that there was a lot of nurturing artists going on. And you're, it was obviously much more difficult to get music out there. And the whole music industry landscape was completely different. But I don't think they would hesitate to drop her considering how badly that album did. It didn't do great. I don't know. Tori has also mentioned the likes of Tracy Chapman and Melissa Mm -hmm. Etheridge being nurtured by their labels and finding success. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if Atlantic was kind of taking notice of that and saying like, ooh, like maybe this Tori woman can be our version of Tracy Chapman. Like, how do we make that happen? Let's imagine a world where Tori Amos doesn't get dropped from her label after Why Can't Tori Read, yet isn't allowed to release Little Earthquakes, where they sort of pigeonhole her into YKTR 2. Obviously, Tori Amos is very charming, and there's a story that Tara Kemp told about how Doug Morris said he didn't get Tori Amos at all, and she played him her songs and she made him understand what kind of an artist she is and now she's his favorite artist right you remember that story so let's imagine a world where she doesn't have the confidence to like be like no these are the songs i'm writing now and listen does she just fade into obscurity trapped in a six or seven album deal eight albums wasn't it I know that Venus counts as two, so that's that's eight albums. It's an eight-album contract with YKTR as one. Three Strange Little Girls. That's an eight-album deal. 
wow mm. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> what an eight album <laughs> deal doesn't that sound intimidating even as a non-musician songwriter <laughs> be like yeah. oh crap i'm under pressure yeah. to write eight albums do you guys know if they give artists like a timeline to fulfill that i mean did she have 10 years to do it or do you know anything about that I don't think there's a timeline attached to it. I think it's just like eight albums. I thought there yeah. was. And maybe I'm like misremembering, but I thought she had spoken about the fact at some point that that kind of two-year cycle was dictated. Oh, really? Oh, that would yeah. be interesting to know. But what do you think? What do you imagine a world where she's trapped in a record contract that she can't get out of? They won't listen to her music. You know, I don't want to go there, Efren. That's such a sad. <laughs> you know what? Tori is nothing if not crafty. And I have faith that much like she sort of came up with the idea of a double album and a covers album to bring her contract to an end quicker than it might have otherwise. I have faith that she would have found a way to get herself out of that pickle one mm-hmm. way or another. I agree. Maybe she would have had to change her name yet again and become right. like a different artist to make the kind of music she wanted to somewhere else. What would be a new name for Tori Amos? What would Sammy you Joe. change it to? Sammy J. Sammy J. Sammy J. Or maybe she, I mean, if she knew that it was going to go nowhere, maybe she would just like settle and just be like, just Ellen. What if she just changed it to Sammy Jamis? Sammy oh, Jamis. that's good. <laughs> and we were sitting here talking about the songs of Sammy Jamos. <laughs> Sammy Jamos and her first album would have been entitled Dynasty. (laughs) (laughs) Dynasty. So I just want to state that when we started this season, this podcast has been around since 2016, but we we just have reconditioned the Little Earthquakes episodes and we called them Little Earthquakes Revisited because I felt like that was the best word for it. Revisited as opposed to remastered because they weren't the same tracks and reconditioned also sort of implied that it was the same track redone a little, Mm. but it was completely revisited. So that's why I called them Revisited. But Shaggy said that he thought it should be called Reconditioned. And I just wanted to make sure to get that in there because when we surprised everyone with the release of Crucify, the very first comment we got was from Shaggy. And he said, I really think it should be reconditioned instead of revisited. There's nothing better than when Shaggy decides to stir from his slumber in the back seat to offer a bit of unsolicited <laughs> advice. Why don't you call it revisited and also find a Del Taco drive through for me right away? Exactly. Back to Can sleep. you get me to a Del Taco, please? Back to sleep. That's all House. you're getting from me. Yeah. So speaking of reconditioning or remastering or reissuing or revisiting, why don't you read this quote about the reissues from Tori Amos? Why don't you read it, Shay? This is still from that Refinery29 article. This is the rest of it. In terms of these reissues, what are you excited about in terms of new listeners? What's exciting about the re-release? And Tori says, well, stories over the years from other generations have affected me of people confronting their demons or making a change in their life and deciding what kind of person they want to be, not who their family wants them to be or their friends want them to be, but who they feel they really are. These are the albums about individuating and not just being the person my parents wanted me to be and my friends wanted me to be or falling into that role, but about blowing that up, throwing a grenade at that then saying, that's not who I am, and I might be letting people down because I don't fit into that character or the story. So these records were my time to find out who that person was, and I would say during the 90s, that's what those records were about. But then I became a mother. It wasn't time to ask that question. I needed to know that already, and then decide who I wanted to be as a mother and as a musician, and how to grow as a woman. That was from 2000 on. 
So the 90s were very much about being still thought of as a young woman. And then you realize that I'm not the image I've been presenting to everybody. That's not who I am. I didn't want to disappoint anybody, but that's not who my spirit wants me to be. I might lose some friends here by deciding what that is, but that's okay because I can't live like that anymore. So this is very much what those records were. I don't think that quest changes from generation to generation. I think that quest was always happening. So when she says, so the 90s were very much about being still thought of as a young woman, and then you realize that I'm not the image I've been presenting to everybody, that's not who I am. Do you think she's talking about the image that she was presenting through those first four records of the 90s or the first five records of the 90s? I do, and I find this quote to be troubling, actually. I feel like Tori and I have renewed our vows. I hope this doesn't mean that we need to seek an annulment because I'm like, who is this stranger that I've married? It's yeah, it is troubling to think that after coming to terms with the YKTR experience and really being open and raw on Little Earthquakes and you, you know, obviously that album was about finally following her artistic impulse in all things and never compromising that. That's what this album has been about. For her to say, and this was in 2015, for her to say that the the 90s, then you realize I'm not the image I've been presenting to everybody. That's not who I am. That's not who my spirit wants to be. It's a little disheartening to hear that. I would rather she said, that's who I was. And then I've grown up, you know, I've become something else rather than like, that's not who I was. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Because it was who you were. We've kind of explored this idea before and talked a little bit about it. You know, obviously what we respond to and we go back to is Tori's authenticity. And that's what makes her and her music so powerful. But we've also thought about the fact that maybe Little Earthquake's Tori and Onward, I guess, was kind of another incarnation of YKTR Tory, meaning what was popular at the time or becoming popular was grunge and alternative and more female singer-songwriters. So mm-hmm. that she just happened to align with that and that was her rebranded image, but that that wasn't necessarily authentic either. And the way that she speaks in this quote leads me to believe that what she's essentially saying is that she was, let's say, like beekeeper Tory the entire time. As you said that, I started thinking about the Tory that we knew and loved, the 27, 28, 29-year-old Tory with a shock fire engine red hair, you know, pushing like pushing that sexuality into the microphone, into mm-hmm. like legs spread, grabbing the crotch or like just slightly touching the crotch. I mean, she was pushing that. Even that was affected in a way. And that's what we loved about it. I'm not saying that it was bad. It was affected, though. We've used the term courting controversy. And she I see that she was. The hair was bright-ass red for a, a reason. The hair, it mm-hmm. wasn't like a soft red. It wasn't like, let's fade into the background. She was courting that controversy. She was trying, She was. it was affected. Yeah. It was pushed in a way. That makes sense to me in the sense that, of course, like she's an artist and a performer. So in terms of developing a style and let's say putting on a show... I think in sort of crafting that image and performance style, I think that makes sense. That doesn't lead me to question her authenticity. That's true. No, me either. Me either. Especially considering, you know, she's a solo artist sitting at a piano with no backup musicians, probably thinking like, okay, what's my version of like setting my guitar on fire at the end of my set? (laughs) (laughs) It's touching my crotch during precious things. Yeah, like people aren't going to want to come watch a recital. What do you think, Shay, about her image and what she's really saying in this quote? I agree with with what you guys are saying for the most part. And 
you know, living through it, watching her changes over the years. And I think we can probably agree that the big shift in the way Tori presented herself really was around the beekeeper years. And as a fan, I kind of miss that part. But she, you know, we all grow, we all change. You can't stay 28 forever and your mind goes other places. And yeah, her life experience changes the way she writes. I mean, I think luckily we are all of a certain generation where we didn't have Instagram growing up. But imagine Mm. back to your early to mid to late 20s to look back through your Instagram, (laughs) your moments of your life. Wouldn't you instantly delete that shit? Wouldn't you be like, that's not me. This has always been me. I'm sensual. I'm strong. I'm wise. I want to ask you both the question along these lines, too. At some point in the distant, distant future, when we get to Choir Girl and specifically Pandora's (laughs) Aquarium, we'll get to... It's going to be so long. So far away, David. I know. We'll get to the lyric, boy, I think you're confused. I'm not Persephone. Do we Mm -hmm. think that's like the real shift? And that's, you know, the final track on Choir Girl. And after that point, she rushes through, let's say, getting out of her contract with Atlantic. And from that point on, I think she really changes as an artist. And that's the point, too, where she really introduces this concept of Tori talking about herself in the third person as if she's a character or someone else. Uh So I'm like Mm -hmm. wondering if she considers this whole Atlantic era encapsulating this image that was not true to who she really perceived herself to be. And what we get after that point is the most authentic Tori and that she's always trying to like distance herself from this time. I think that's a really interesting theory. I'm not sure that it for me to accept that theory, she would have had to stop playing all of the Atlantic catalog live or most a majority. It would have to be hard to get a Little Earthquake song. You know, it would have to be hard to get an Under the Pink song from her for me to accept that theory entirely. But I do think, I do see the shift. I think there was a definite shift after Choir Girl. And you're right. Like, that's interesting where, if you mark that as the moment where she really wanted to, like, be done with this contract. Because I don't think Choir Girl was pushed as it could have been. Neither was Pele. And she probably was, by that point, very smart as a businesswoman in the music industry and, like, realized she could do better. But I think a, a lot of it, I would still put on the back of, like, that cringe factor like when anyone looks back at themselves at that age like you just want to cringe so I think as she had her daughter and was married and was settled she's been married more now than she wasn't you know so Mm -hmm. as far as her professional career goes so this is more authentic of who she is than isn't I don't know I think it's just like an evolution I tend to believe that she was maybe even more authentic in those earlier years just because she really felt maybe that she didn't have anything to lose you know Mm. and now or you know let's say throughout the 2000s she's definitely a lot more guarded and her lyrics are a little bit more cloaked in mystery Mm -hmm. um, and you have to figure things out but I don't know that she looks back and cringes or thinks like oh we want to erase that that part of my career um I would hope not. Let's get into these episodes we did, yeah? And let's give our audience a voice. How about that? All right. Sounds great. Here's a little bit from MTV Review. I just decided to try and take the piano to a place for me in the best way I could. And that's how the song started to come for Little Earthquakes. 
Doug Morris, who was the head of Atlantic Records at the time. And uh, he looked at me. <laughs> he said, what is this? You did not give me Rocket Man. And I'm like, well, of course I didn't give you Rocket Man. Somebody already wrote that song. Why do we cruise So we started with Crucify, which we released nearly two years ago. January 28th, 2019 was the release date of Crucify. And these are some general comments. We received a lot of critical acclaim, if I dare say. Eliza Rickman said, yay. And she also said, while I was listening to the Boys for Pele wrap-up episode, my boyfriend was eavesdropping and jokingly asked, are these guys talking about how awesome their podcast is? Yes, we were. (laughs) Probably is my guess. That doesn't sound like us. Other comments, Andrew Cherry said, hallelujah. Jen Moore said, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Fergie Madison said, yay. Inner Divine Tarot said, thank you so much. ABC123PP said, hell yeah. <laughs> Emily Cousins said, it's going to be negative 20 degrees here tomorrow, but this warms my heart. And then Rachel Jeffers said, I'm halfway through and it's so good. I'm so glad you did this. Oh, and also Too Funky For Sure said, is it three hours long? Yes. Yeah, it is. Yes, it was. Keep them oh, coming. Keep the long episodes coming. The long episode haters I'm so sorry. Learn to break them into, you know, an afternoon here, an afternoon there, because there's no way that you could cut these episodes down to smaller than they are. And I, this is not like a read or anything. I'm not trying to say that it's wrong, but sometimes I'm like, they could have even added more to this episode. It's only two hours and 57 minutes long. So yeah, I like that. You're a go-getter, Shay. (laughs) You want to fill it to 259.59. Well, we've dedicated our lives to this woman for the most part. So, you know, give her an extra three minutes. Yeah, for the people that are right there with us, I think that they probably feel the same way. I will say I struggled with the three hour episodes too, uh, in terms of like, I wasn't sure exactly the process of like, what should happen. Like I knew when we revisited these, they were going to be hefty. I never wanted an episode to go over three hours. But 
at the same time, like I agree with you, like we've devoted our entire lives to this woman and I want to get all the quotes. It's a time capsule. Mm -hmm. So once David and I, I, David and I were talking about it, like, should we do like an hour long episode and then like an extended episode for Patreon supporters? But I, I also want these to exist long after we're done with the project, you know, to our dying days. I want them to be on iTunes <laughs> as long as there's an iTunes. So I don't want to have to like guide people to a, a longer version. So I wanted it to just be one version of the episode all Ways. And then David was like, yeah, well, people can pause and start again the next day. And I'm like, oh, yeah. you're right. They can. And if Joe Rogan yeah. can God. do it and talk about like wrestling or whatever he talks about with his guests. Seriously, come on. episodes are like five hours long, you know? Yeah, Joe. <laughs> so, yeah. He's Calm like down. the number one show. He's the number you know one what? show on, out there. So. And you know what, people? We all need to take responsibility for our own portion control. Like when <laughs> it's you not order, my fault. when you order at a restaurant and they give you a giant entree, you don't get mad at the waiter. Like, oh great, now I have what? to eat this whole thing before I can get up. Like, no, you don't. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> Let's read these quotes. Let's start with this one from international musician. You want to take it away, David? All right. First of all, the songs were written on the piano. It's clearly a relief for Tori to be discussing the technicalities of making her debut album, Little Earthquakes. It's compelling vignettes draw you in like tearful conversations, an aspect which often prompts a purient analysis. But the challenge of capturing her intimate piano vocal style on record fascinates even more. The album was recorded in three very different stages. The first was with producer David Sigerson in LA, trying to lay down the basic songs with a click track and still get a performance. Unless you capture a performance in the recording, you have nothing. It serves to note that performance is italicized, so the writer meant performance. Mm-hmm. So get a performance. I give these tickets to people who like music. Music. <laughs> Yeah. I know that I can't remember who it is, but I know that we talked to someone who said that they had recorded with, I think it was Jeff Scott from Leather, who said that they'd recorded with a click track or that Davit had started recording with a click track and then like re soon realized that they couldn't, that just let her play. I think it was maybe even Crucify, maybe Tina Gullickson said it. Someone Sam, somewhere, David and Shay, someone somewhere has said that. And I recall it. I believe you. <laughs> I believe you. Continue on, David. After abandoning the click altogether, several songs were captured, but then began the delicate task of embellishment. It's tricky adding to piano vocals. It's easy to be boring, but the songs were demanding certain things. Tori began working in a home studio with boyfriend Eric Ross and a union of musicians, pursuing her piano principles. Piano is used so much as a sideline now, not enough is asked of it. And using the free studio time and responsive musicianship to let a good deal of accumulated frustration pour out. There was a lot of heart in that stage. The guitars and drums suddenly happened, and we recorded live, vocals in the bathroom at times. The bohemian ambiance helped the mixing stage too. What's on tape is not just the music. It's the arguments, the room, the people, the food, all that. But finally, Tori came to the UK to polish up the album and sing for Europe. Producer Ian Stanley was chosen to add a few unobtrusive final touches, and the challenge had been met. Little Earthquakes is now measuring high on the media Richter scale. There's an inconsistency about the record, which I feel is its charm, she concludes. Each song has its own personality, and of course, Tori's. What do you think she means by inconsistency? It's funny because that quote's from 1991, before she'd lived with all of these songs and before she'd lived with that record for any real length of time, so that I can understand maybe what she means is you've got a winter next to a happy phantom. You've got a silent all these years next to a leather. You've got a really heartfelt ballad, China, next to a little earthquakes. 
And also the times that each of the songs were written, you know, China being written in the late 80s, and then, you know, Mina Gunn being written just mere months before they put it all together. And then there's those four, you know, the four tracks that, that they did later with Caton. So each one, I'm sure in her mind, come from such different places in her life. Yeah. And the music is pretty different on each song. So... Yeah, I think that's maybe what she means by that. I think you're absolutely right, and maybe it's all of these things, but I think Little Earthquakes, even compared to Under the Pink and Boys for Paley and pretty much everything that came after, those were all recorded and produced in one environment. And all of these mm-hmm. songs were recorded in different rooms, right? And she yeah, might you're even, right. And, and, that you're right. In terms of inconsistency, she might even mean the something sonic like we have... inconsistency. Yeah. And we have like this big budget track, like Winter, that we recorded with an orchestra. And then we have Precious Things, where we were trying to produce four songs on a $4,000 budget, and I sang it in the closet. Yeah, yeah, and those four are the demos that they presented to Doug Morris, that she presented to Doug Morris. Those four demos are what made it to the record, you know? I thought that was so amazing when Caton said that in your interview. I couldn't believe that these are the demos. These are the final tracks. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. From High Folks, Italy, March 1992, she says, They, the songs for the earthquakes, were all written over the past four years, and all of them are still very good. Because when you're honest, when you talk to yourself honestly at any time of your life, that will remain forever. There are pieces that I wrote when I was 10 and still belong to me. Well, she's not wrong. They were very good and they still are because here we are talking about them. It's true. She's not wrong. I'm curious to know, like, this is something we will never know and I'll have to make peace with it. But I am always curious to know, like, little bits of the song, like how each moment came to her. So when she says there are pieces that I wrote when I was 10, I want to know which ones. I want to know what on the record came to her when she was 10. Like, is it something she'd hummed to herself years and years before that came back up in the moment of writing the song like interesting what was it that is not how i interpreted this quote so that's interesting how did you interpret it i just thought she was likening the authenticity she had around some songs that she wrote when she was 10 to these songs not that there were actually pieces of songs that she wrote when she was 10 oh interesting being included in little earthquakes but maybe I took it as like there were bridges, maybe like moments or a chorus here and there that have come through all periods of her life. That's how I took it. What, do you, what about you, Shay? You'll be the deciding factor. You'll be the judge. <laughs> no, don't put that on me. <laughs> I think you're both right. I, <laughs> if she had some kind of notebook or something that she just kind of jots things down here and there, wakes up from a dream and she's like, oh, I got it. I got it. You know, I got to write down this line. So if that's something that maybe she was pulling from when she was building these songs, then yeah, it could have been, oh, this is something I wrote back when. When I was like 16 and I remember I was at this party and this happened so you know this thought came mm-hmm. to me or whatever it could be that can you imagine if 1991 Tori kind of writing this album opened a journal from when she was 10 years old and found the entirety of mother just written out and she was like oh crap <laughs> right? that's good I have to say Shay as a judge you're disappointing because it can't be both verb and noun but we're still going to put you to the test me and David are going to do an impromptu Little Earthquakes poem based on the capital words from Crucify and you're going to judge which one's better okay I'm excited better is not the right word let's be kind to ourselves David I guess it'll be which one moves you more yeah yeah which one makes you weep which one makes you cry if we want to call it a version of slam poetry which one you feel more slammed by Go. Wait, are we actually doing this now? Yeah, do it. Go. Okay, go. sorry. Wait, wait. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm before, looking at the bolt. Before you begin, I think that you should list the words that um, you're including before you. Oh, you know smart. what I mean? Tell the smart. people. Courage, God, heart, love, guilt, cry. 
Courage, God, heart, love, guilt, cry. All right, David, you're first. Go. All right. I carried so much guilt, but all along I knew that I had the courage to love. I cried asking God to open my heart. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. Wait, so you used all of them, right? Yeah. I think I should do that too. Okay. Boom. Um, How about God gave you the courage to cry, guilt gave you the heart to love. Boom. Mm, Succinct and powerful, yeah. Thank you. I love them both. <laughs> Is it judging time? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to compete against you, David. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> They're both equally beautiful, both equally coming from a true place of love and harmony. But I have to say that I was moved by David's. Oh, oh my it wasn't God. everybody always. I didn't even know I was nominated. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> You're right, I did. It's an honor. And I have to say also, no matter who wins, the audience loses. From the shadow she calls And in the shadow she finds a way Finds a way Our second episode of the season, Girl, came out on February 25th, 2019. And here are some general comments. Shaggy said, reconditioned. Inner Divine Tarot said, yay. And Emily Cousin said, you know how to get a girl out of bed on a Monday. Well, we certainly don't know how to get a girl into bed. On any day, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I love the image of just uh, Emily Cousins laying in bed until our episodes come out. And then Mm -hmm. she rises from her slumber. Her nightgown blowing in the breeze. From in the shadow we called and she answered. Oh, good one. (laughs) You are just full of these, David. You are just like on the ball. You are full of it, David. You're just full of it. This is from Visions 1992. The whole record is about self-experience, like skinning a snake. When I was 13, I still believed in fairies and other spiritual things, lost in my own imagination, believed in the unseen world, which I still do today. But over time, I started to feel like a fool. I mean, if you smoke dope, maybe it's normal, but like that? You're in an English class talking to a fairy? That's what people don't understand. And when you're 13, you don't want to just get ridiculed forever. So I started to destroy that part in me that's actually very creative. Instead, I got very cynical, pretended to be popular, to be loved by everyone. But actually, it was nothing more than a game of hide and seek. You can be a loudmouth without having to say anything. In any case, at the time, I only wanted to be an in-chick. Today, I know that you should have your own thoughts and express your opinion. Today, I accept that not all people can like me. That's fine. I recently reheard some of the songs I wrote back then, and it was very interesting. There were some really good ideas in the songs, not lyrically, after all, when I was 15. I had other ideas. You just think differently after you've had the experience, but the music was good. Well, anyway, when I was 19, I had so many rejections about my music that I began to doubt my music. I thought maybe people are right. Find a band, play dance music. At the moment, we're very interested in heavy metal, etc. At the beginning, I tried to discover new things and maybe learn something, but then I didn't. I also got infected by the virus of the 
internal questioning. What do you think of that? If you always had success as a small child, then you ask yourself, why does nobody clap these days? You get so addicted to the sound of applause that you lose your confidence and wonder what you're doing wrong. And then you start to convince yourself that what people tell you is right. Anyway, it was an incredibly positive experience when I sat down at my piano and was myself. I don't need to sell myself anymore today. In a way, the first LP was something like a rape of my soul. The music was more important to me than anything, and it was sure to be a good experience playing with Matt, but I wish I was stronger then and hadn't listened to those idiots. Today, they tell you how great your record is, and then when the sales fail, the same thing suddenly sucks. It's shocking to see that this album is selling so well. When I sat down at my piano again and was myself. I love that her previous drummer, Matt Sorum, is referenced here as Matt. The music is more important to me than anything, and it was sure to be a good experience playing with Matt. Yeah, I got a little confused by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is obviously 1992, so she's not talking about Maddie Chamberlain. She's right. talking about Matt Sorum, and I, it just occurred to me, like, all her drummers have been named Matt. Matt can bat those drums. <laughs> Except for Manu Keche. Oh, yeah, you're right. Matu. Matu Keche. Matu. 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 Here are some comments from our listeners. John Provoznik said this. He said, pillow to my dots. I always pictured this as her temples. What do you think? Huh. What do y'all think? A pillow to my dots. Like the brain is the pillow for her temples? Mm. Yeah. Interesting. That's an interesting thought. I love to hear other people's interpretations too. Just like keep them coming, people. Why don't you read this, David, from the Roanoke Times Online, October 8th, 1996. That's my birthday. Ooh, happy birthday, Shay. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. She sings and plays all the time, Ed Amos said. (laughs) Imagine he's like, enough already. (laughs) Tori Allen. All the time, Ed Amos says. She sings in the fields. She sings when she's cooking. She sings in the shower. Who is she? Maria Von Trapp? Belle? <laughs> the fields? Yeah. She wrote the song Girl off her Little Earthquakes album on the piano in the parlor of the farmhouse, as a matter of fact. On the honky-tonk piano. That's what she calls it, her mother said, because that's what it really sounds like. An old honky-tonk piano. All the pianos she has have different personalities to them. And this one, she says, she thinks it's been in the bars somewhere in the past because it loves honky-tonk music. I know that the article that the reporter wrote piano, but I'm almost positive. I'd bet money that Mary Ellen said piano on the honky-tonk piano. I love that her parents have taken on Tori's way of describing pianos as girls. Yeah. It's great. (laughs) Get back, honky cat. Um, This is a piece from Resistance written in 2020, or released in 2020, written by Tori Amos, performed on the audiobook by Tori Amos, and read to us by Tori Amos. Songs are living, breathing things. Girl is not locked up in time or aligned only to the circumstances that propelled her birth in 1990. She can be applied not just to a young woman's story, but to anyone at any age who has made a commitment to themselves. A commitment to stop being the person someone else needs demands, or seduces them to be, or intimidates them into becoming. Whether we become this person to deflect conflict or to stave off rejection, we have all morphed into the me 
someone else wants us to be. Certain relationships can just wear you down. So, you mirror or reflect back, kind of like a pet, reflecting back what its master wants. This can seem easier in the moment. Whatever it takes to back this person's vibe down, oh, geez, I'll do it. The master does not have to be male. Sometimes he is, but not always. Whoever the master is, they know this, that people can be trained. Either with praise, shame, the fear of failure, or the fear of being gaslighted. The technique is a relationship of rewards and punishments. There is no unconditional love here. No, nope. This kind of relationship is all about the master's conditions. Not joint, respectful, mutual conditions. No. Their conditions. The mantra of girl is... I must become my own owner, my own authority. I want to say that to you again. I'm off book, but that's okay. It's important. Let's say it together. The mantra of girl is, I must become my own owner, my own authority. I must be a home to myself, and I must find a way to live what I believe. Didn't we say something about the transformation of Girl in 2017? Yes. And yes. then she wrote she about it about in the book? Here. Yeah, like what was it that we said on that episode? Does anybody recall? That Girl basically became America. Oh, yeah. Right. During my Native Invader concert tour in 2017, Girl began to reframe herself. People coming to the shows were sharing that they were feeling traumatized by this large-scale and scary and political and divisive global rupture that we were living through. The muses began to show me that each concert would need to address this trauma in every city, in every venue. I had never seen this type of trauma, and I had been playing shows for 40 years. No, this was a ravenous beast of assault. Not having been alive during World War II, I had no personal reference in my arsenal to this type of energy on this scale. In every audience, every night, there was a combination of anxiety, grief, anger, and shell shock. But there was also a willingness on the audience's part to engage with all these emotions together through songs in order to shift the current energies. 
these energies were reacting to a brutal authoritarian bedevilment that was and is trying to hold the world hostage. Songs were called upon to help transform the malicious energies sown by this ravenous beast of assault. Girl stepped forward. She understood that America was under attack. Girl understood it was not only America that was under attack. Girl worked with the other songs by forming a narrative to combat the assault. Girl was finding her relevance in the present day. She told the story of being a girl that someone was trying to oppress. Then she expanded her persona to a country, America, that authoritarians were trying to possess. I loved watching her perform Girl. I mean, I I was only able to go to four shows, but watching the um, live streams, she just became this creature. You know, she's got her yeah. both her hands on either keyboard and just the way she hunkered down with her hair. And she was not Tori anymore. She was just this creature from either the sky or the sea. You couldn't really tell. But, oh, God, that was just such a visual. I was very enamored with that. Those were my favorite yeah. performances of that. That whole tour or girl was my favorite Agreed. song performed that tour it was yep. so good yeah it's time for the poem the girl poem so david take it away go the capital okay. words are crawls under bluebell's cherry tree go my lover crawls beneath my no sorry my lover crawls under my majestic towering cherry tree my blue balls blossom into bluebells <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and drink thing that so many stars do have you ever thought let's have a couple of drinks before going on of course yeah it's so easy how do you deal with it though you see the greatest thing that happened to me was before this record came out i had a bombed record before this so i have no illusions about the music business or anything or or fame or what that stuff means mm. i'm really pretty unimpressed and what I'm into is just singing my songs and trying to get a life. Mm. So I sing for people. I don't think of it as a job. It's my love. Mm. Things are pretty cut and dry with me. <laughs> 
It was a hard lesson to learn that people can love you one week and then be ready to rip you up the next. So if you don't swing to either side, then you're pretty down the middle. Silent All These Years, our third track from this era, was released on April 15, 2019. Some comments from the peanut gallery, there were none (laughs) that I put in this document. Interesting. No one had anything to say. That tells you that it was perfect, right? Or that they just (laughs) remained silent for more years. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So we got some quotes that we forgot to include in that episode. So let's read this from Little Earthquake's bio press kit folder. February 1992. Why don't you read that, David? So much happened to me when I was a kid, and to some extent, all my songs come from there. Things that happen to me now seem to be connected to what went before. It's the same pain with different names and places attached. That sort of supports what she said about how pieces came to her at 10 years old or that she's written pieces at 10. I don't know. So much happened to me when I was a kid. Why don't you read this from Illinois Entertainer, March 1992. I have to go in and take a bit of a trip when I play. I live to play live. I think there are moments when there are tears, yes, because of the emotions dug up. I cried myself when I wrote it. And later in the article, she goes on to say, you don't have to have a ring on your finger. You don't have to be in a relationship with a lover to talk about these things. I mean, daily, you have moments of feeling that you didn't say what you wanted to say, like you copped out on yourself. Little Earthquakes is really about a relationship with your own self, which nobody really talks about because you know what? They think it's too airy-fairy and new age. And I shit all over that. Get it, girl. <laughs> From B-Side Magazine, June 1992. One song in particular seemed to clue listeners into Tori's character, that being the first single, Silent All These Years. I think there was something. I think somebody told me they were listening to the second verse and it just clicked. It got to that point and wherever they were that day, he was in his car and it was just a turnaround. Another one was It Clicked on Winter. So it's different songs for different people that I work with. Tori supposes that the songs must touch various people on that special level to suddenly make them truly hear what she is saying through her music. I think it's circumstances that happen to them during the day, which made them say, now this can apply to me. And it's just one of those, I'm having such an interesting time of it because I'm watching people. Some people come and hear me play live and still haven't gotten it. I usually think that after they actually hear it live, they understand it more than they did. If they're going to get it at all, the last straw is to get it live because it's much more intimate. I'm there and it's me and the piano and you hear how the songs were written and where they came from and you're watching me express them. So you're getting all these senses going on except maybe smell because I think you can actually taste them but there are people who have come to say well you know there's something but I don't know it's true and I'll go well to each his own everybody has things that speak to them differently one has to wonder if Tori's going to get a different reaction to her music from region to region. Oh, I don't know. Culturally, this country is made up of different countries. And I've been told that some of the guys in the South have just been a little resistant to playing this more so than in other places. And, you know, I was born in the South. And I think that once they get into it and open up to it, it's not about attacking anybody. It's about revealing yourself. And I hope to play down there. And when I do and they hear it live, they may hear it from another side. Because, yeah, so what? It's intimate. So what? We're talking about stuff. So what? And I think it's funny that it's threatening. It's a bit more threatening than needles in my nipples, but it shouldn't be because all of it is saying no games. Let's just explore all these ideas. And some are monsters and some of them are fairies who like to wee on people and have a really good time and wink and sing a little whistling Dixie and add a little of this and that. There are a lot of different parts to explore and there's a lot of fun to it too. Can I just say that I'm never inviting Tori over between fairies weeing and shitting all over things when Tori walks into a house. She's like, where isn't the bathroom? (laughs) (laughs) 
Most definitely. Even in the midst it. of some of those deeply moving lyrics, there's that wink, that verbal nudge, that fairy wing on all our heads. Those playful nudges and precious winks make the album such a wonderful whole, taking it beyond the painful honesty that often is revealed. Tori's been giggling and agreeing, musing. I think when people give something a little bit of time, you can hear it differently on the third listen, because just sometimes you're getting your bearings on something. I know I do with stuff. The first time through, you're reading your magazine. But when a song like Silent All These Years makes you cry, real tears, folks, in public in the ninth row, you know there's something being done right here. I cry on that one, too. And winter gets me because of my relationship with my dad. But we both agree that Silent isn't an oh boo hoo hoo outing, but more of a yes, yes, yes of finally finding your identity. <laughs> well, I'm glad that's the one out that's introducing me, because I feel it's really representative of how I want to come out. It was what came out in England, and with a little nudge here and there. I love how she's saying, like, if you don't get it, keep listening. Just listen again and mm. again. If you still don't get it, keep listening. If you still don't get it, come to the live show. If you don't get it after that, keep listening again. Tori will not relinquish her grip until she wrings tears from us. Everyone must cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you in the ninth row. Until your eyes glisten, I won't stop. <laughs> Why don't you read this, Shay, from Music Express, June 1992, speaking about how her lyric ideas come to her. Maybe a word or maybe a syllable comes, like in Silent All These Years, Tori sings. The Antichrist, da-da-da. That word, Antichrist, was the only one that was understandable. So because of what I was doing vocally, it started to sculpt itself. As I started to understand what the story wanted to be, I started to craft the words. But What If I'm a Mermaid was always there. In these genes of his got written out of something that was coming tonally. The completed lyrics often throw images of childhood against haunting scenes or feelings of pain, fear, sadness, or anger. And Tori says, sometimes I'm shocked at how angry I am at some of the things. I'll obviously be saying something that I might not have said if I hadn't written the song. But when I'm writing, I give myself completely free reign. That's exactly what I was talking about earlier. That's what I want to know. Like, how did it come out? The Antichrist was the only word that was there. The Antichrist. Da, 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 da. So, you know, she's figuring it out, the rhythm, and she's figuring out the tone, and then figuring out, like, what words fit in. And then, like, that's how yes. the story's crafted. Oh, I love that. Yes. And sometimes she doesn't bother to fill words in. She just, you die, dies. Here's Tori talking on Face to Face from Cape Town, South Africa, June 29th, 2015. It's also where we pulled the quote from the very beginning of this episode. Here's this. Being 50 has obviously been a big milestone for you. Uh, what is it like? I was wondering last night as I listened to you play, uh, for example, Silent All These Years, what is it like to play that song at 50 that you wrote all those years ago? Does it still resonate with you emotionally like it did then? Well, the difference between then and now is I've heard many stories from many people about what that song um, their, their friendship with it and mm. how that song has walked with them through their lives at different times in their lives and all those stories then weave um, themselves around the song so mm -hmm. when she gets played she's not just how I saw her 20 some years ago but she's now many people's stories that are part of her DNA and you refer to her as a person she <laughs> she's she's an energy a consciousness mm -hmm. 
For those of you out there who have access to the internet, you can head over to songsofteriamus.com and find the show notes for this episode, and we'll link to a wonderful video that one of our supporters, Chris Gray, sent us. He's done a compilation video of Silent All These Years through the years. So he's like taken bits of like crucial performances from 1992 through 2014 and sort of combined them together so you can really see Tori grow up with this song. It's really, really great. Yeah, I definitely recommend watching these i watched this one and i believe there's another one for what is it precious things or winter maybe both and not only the evolution of the song itself and how she presents it with her voice and piano but just watching how she physically changed in all the different hairstyles and things it's so cool and it really made me when i sat and watched these the other day i was like you know getting a little teary-eyed in some moments just it's really beautiful great idea chris you you did you did a great job why don't you read this quote from the Little Earthquakes reissue liner notes, David, 2015. Almost a quarter century has gone by since she recorded Silent All These Years. Yet Tori finds that the Stop. audience's res- I can't even with the, how that starts. I can't even how that starts. Mm. That's a, I find that aggressive. I find that assaulting. Yeah, that's a that's a microaggression on all of us. <laughs> that's a macroaggression. Are you kidding me? It's <laughs> a point. white shot aggression. It's <laughs> an assault. Right. <laughs> continue on. Yet Tori finds that the audience's response remains as deep and immediate as when the song was new. I think the song became about healing the self and healing the child within. I've had so many letters over the years and there are hundreds and hundreds of ways that it plays itself out, but those scars can stay with them. It affects them their whole life. It's something I play a lot. It's the most requested song I have because people want to hear it. And I don't see it as something that lives back in 1991 or 92. I see it as something that walks with me every day. I would just like to caution everyone on the upcoming tour because in 2017, I really tried to lay out all the pretense and like I didn't care where I sat as long as I was there. I was happy. You know, I really wanted to have a great experience no matter what the external factors were. And the only part where I feel like maybe I played the jaded role a little bit was in this one particular person who did a lot of shows who always asked for silent all these years. And I'm like, person, (laughs) you talk to Tori a lot. How could you be asking for silent all these years all the time? But I want to caution myself to remember, like everybody needs that song in certain ways at different times. And even all of these years later, she still needs to play it too. So I appreciate you reading that, David. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate being given the opportunity. (laughs) I appreciate Tori saying it. I appreciate Shay putting it in the notes. I appreciate you reading it, David. I appreciate everything. Shay found this quote from Resistance. So we're going to play Tori Amos performing her own quote from Resistance. Silent all these years still is one of the most important songs to me personally. Without her, I would not be speaking with you right now. She was the life support that helped me survive a severe personal and artistic crisis. In my mid-twenties, in the late eighties, these intersecting artistic and personal failures forced me to look at my life. I had to own the direction where some of my personal choices and my songwriting had taken me. I somehow had managed to silence my inner magical child artist, the one that had taught me the love of music and the power of songs. The only way I got through this artistic death 
was by writing songs to survive it. Some of us have to go through a personal tragedy in order to find our true north as writers or songwriters. It took me four years to hear the muses and my own voice to be able to write and record the songs that became the final version of the album Little Earthquakes. It was a long and arduous climb to songwrite my way out of a very personal hell. Silent was not necessarily written to be a political call to action, but it became one, and I didn't stop it. Women around me at the time saw the highly charged gender divide we were in during the autumn of 1991. Me and a Gun, the EP, was about to be released in October 1991, and it included Silent All These Years. The muses cautioned me. You wrote songs personal to you. However, the issue of sexual assault is blowing up in the political world. The personal is political. On October 11th, 1991, in her full opening statement, Anita Hill gave voice to being a survivor of sexual harassment. A woman of color, she faced a panel of 14 white men on the Senate Judiciary Committee and said, I could not keep silent. Silent all these years would speak to this, and so too would me and a gun. All right, Shay, I'm going to play the judge since I can never win these things. Give us an improv poem using the capital words dog, nothing, here, easy, mother. Okay, right now? <laughs> yeah. Okay, dog, there's nothing here. Take it easy. I'm going to go get your mother and we'll get it all figured out. <laughs> <laughs> I love this little earthquakes prose contest. <laughs> go ahead, David. Wow. You can bring your dog, mother. These are songs by Tori Amos. Nothing here is easy. I'm going to have to give it to Shay. Oh. Because she's really changed our opinion of what poetry can be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. It's an honor. This is a cover we did not play in our Silent All These Years episode, but it is excellent. So here is Kat Leon doing her cover of Silent All These Years, which you can find on our show notes page at songsoftoriamos.com. Excuse me, but can I be a If you sit real still Got the antichrist in the kitchen Yelling at me again Yeah, I can hear that I don't care Cause sometimes I sit Sometimes I hear my voice Silence all these years 
So now on to my favorite track from Little Earthquakes. This is Precious Things. We released the episode for Precious Things on June 3rd, 2019. Why don't you read this from the Village View? We have to say, okay, if I can open up the cupboards so there are spiders in there, you've got to open the cupboards or the spider's going to get so big, it's going to be tearing the cupboard down and this claw is going to be wrapped around your neck. I love when Tori's allegories get away from her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. you think she started this, she was like, cupboards and there's a spider in it? I don't know, but it's real big. <laughs> yeah, it's that one moment when she's talking to Neil Gaiman in 2017, right? And they're just having that dialogue, that conversation, and she kind of gets so wrapped up in a metaphor that she loses her focus yep. or her train of thought. She's like, I don't fucking know what I'm talking about. Yep. And it's so funny because moments up to her saying, I don't fucking know what I'm talking about, like literally everything, I'm I'm still following her and it sounds like any other quote, she, you know, it sounds just like a normal Toryism. So <laughs> I wonder how many times she's wanted to say, I don't fucking Seriously. know. I like that that's when she snapped out of it, but she was willing to double down on Tampax. I love my quad. <laughs> this is from a web chat Tori did in July of 2008 about the heavy breathing that's underneath the entire song. And Shay found this, so let's play it here. How did I come up with the idea of heavy breathing and precious things? Sometimes when we're recording, whoever's in the studio, it's strange how ideas just hit you. Sometimes I might see or hear somebody do something and then the light bulb goes on and I think this would be great in the percussion part. When you're composing you have, you're in one headspace and you're dealing with basic structure and then when you're making records you need to step out of that and put your arranger thinking cap on. And that's when you can really start to experiment. I think um, it depends sometimes the mood that you're in, but I try all kinds of things when I'm in the mix room and sometimes things work and, and sometimes they don't. So a lot of that is just improvisation. So much of, of the arrangements. We try things you don't hear and a lot of that just gets maybe shelved and we bring that idea later on maybe for a different project so you collect these ideas as you go along that's what I think anytime you're a creator you never throw an idea away you just might have to apply it to something different. I love that. I think that is so that implies that there's so much left on the cutting room floor within the process, right? That there are takes and takes, vocal takes, probably piano takes that we'll never hear, obviously. I always think about it when you're watching a film and an actor's getting to a really emotional scene. The 
eight to 10 to 15 takes that came before that that are probably good in different ways. You'll never know just like the minutia of what goes into making all of the choices. And there's a thousand choices on any one record, you know, so I love that. And also she looks smashing in that video. So she does. Uh, make sure. Gorgeous. Yeah, make sure you go to our show notes so you can click the link so you can see it. She looks great. Anybody else have thoughts on that? I uh, totally agree. Of course, I think any of us would love to know <laughs> everything that's ever been thrown away and been like, um, <laughs> I know. here's Eric. She, he needs to save all of these little bits or whatever. But yeah, yeah. I do love that, but I still feel like in typical Tory fashion, she doesn't really answer the question directly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think she's always really hesitant to share too much about her creative process, like, and how I... the songs come to be in their final form. I think she's talked mm-hmm. about, for example, it was a big decision to put the demos on a piano for that handful mm-hmm. of songs, because usually she doesn't give mm-hmm. us access to that process at all. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I feel like she really kind of keeps that contained. So she was never going to be like, oh, Bob walked into the studio and was like, what if we do some <laughs> heavy breathing on this track? But I wish she would. Right. Didn't we joke that she was like asleep and Eric came up with it? He's like, hey, yes. listen, babe. Yeah. Right. Which is probably not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. At least for some things on the record, he did, you know, co-produce it. So mm-hmm. it's time, David. It's time to redo, to have our poetry contest. That's been an epic failure. For me. (laughs) Well, the words are Billy, Boys, and Nine Inch. And the task is to make this a non-sexual poem, David. Good luck. Is that possible? Yes. Let's see. Nine boys came within inches of Billy. And that's my poem. Nine boys <laughs> came within inches of Billy. Mm. I feel I don't know it's if that's really a cheat or not. Or we if it's said just... non-sexual, Ephraim. It's about it's about foreboding. It's about the future. Nine boys came within inches of Billy. Dun dun dun. Yeah, like what's gonna happen? It's about tension. It's about conflict. It's about drama. Your turn, David. <laughs> hey boys, isn't Nine Inch a song by Beyonce? Love Billy. <laughs> well, that would be great if this was a letter writing contest. <laughs> I refuse to be boxed in by your narrow definitions of poetry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so I guess you win again. Snow can wait, I forgot my mittens. Wipe my nose, get my new boots on. And get a little warm in my heart when I think the winter. I put my hand in my father's I run off where the drifts get deeper Sleeping beauty trips me with a frown I hear a voice, you must learn to stand up For yourself, cause I can't always be around This is a track called Unspoken by Fortet.
That was a clip from Fortet, a song that they did in 2003. Chris Gray, our wonderful supporter and friend, wrote us to let us know that the UK electronic musician Fortet had originally sampled Winter on that track in 2003, but the label, Tori's label, did not approve it, which would have been Atlantic. They did not approve it, so he had to redo, Fortet had to redo the track with a different sample. When I read this little tidbit from Chris Gray, I listened to the song by Fortet, and I, I don't know this group, but I also read through the comments, I think it was on a Reddit thread, and the fans of Fortet were like, this, in my opinion, this is the only version of this song, like this is so great and beautiful. So it sounds to me like the fans of Fortet were all on board for this this version that included winter samples. This is from Kim Zakruski. She meant she uh, had something to say about our winter episode. David? I've been meaning to send an email talking about all things Tori, plus the pronunciation of my name, wink emoji. But I had to stop my <laughs> podcast episode of winter to come here to say I have honestly never thought of hair as gray as Tori's hair. I have always, always imagined this as her father. This is the biggest revelation since building as a verb and running after the rain. Hair is gray and the fires are burning. So many dreams on the shelf. Until now, I didn't realize that I pictured Tori and her dad. They have both aged. There's a fireplace and awards, hmm, possibly from the conservatory. And this is a conversation possibly unspoken between them. I'm so early in this episode, you may actually cover this. Kim, please say yes to reconditioning under the pink. I have a lot to say about my signature song, The Waitress. We're saying yes. <laughs> no, we got to get through the Little Earthquakes B-sides. We have 18 more tracks to go in the oh, cycle, Davis. That's 18 times three, whatever that is. That's 500 hours. Too many. All right. Poems, David. Drifts get deeper. Change, melt, skating, proud white horses. Go. Um... The drifts get deeper, but change melts the seasons of my life. I am skating proud, galloping with the white horses. Oh, beautiful. Snaps, 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 snaps. Mm. Skating through the stable, I see the white horses, proud, changed. I melt as the drifts get deeper. Thank you. There needs to be no winner. Yeah, I don't I like losing. <laughs> They're both so touching, well thought out, and beautiful. You guys missed your calling. Since I don't like losing, no one gets to win. Great. And instead of judging poetry, we're going to play this wonderful cover of Winter by Angel Olsen. She posted it on her Instagram, and we snagged it. Here it is. It's in our show notes. Smoke and wait, When? 
be the happy hunter And I'll go chasing the nuns out in the yard And I'll run naked through the street without my mask on And I will never need umbrellas in the rain I'll wake up in strawberry feet every day And the atrocities of school I can't forgive The happy phantom Happy Phantom, we released on August 26, 2019. Why don't you read this from RMTA, y'all? Oh, okay. So um, this is from Bob Kallmeyer, posted on uh, the 12th of October, 1992. Bob says, oh yeah, one more thing about the St. Louis show. I'm still the angel to a girl who hates to sin during Happy Phantom. With a single gesture, she made it clear that it was not sin in the general meaning, but rather a most specific type. This was not news to everyone, but I, for one, had always taken it in the general meaning. Regards, Bob. Okay, let's not be coy, Bob. What was this single gesture? (laughs) (laughs) What kind of sin do you think she referred to on stage? The bump and grind that she gives us? I mean, imagine. (laughs) She probably touched her crotch. I think it was gluttony. She just like took a bite of a bagel that was inside the piano. Yes. Still an angel to a girl who hates to jump. (laughs) From Cream Magazine, May 1992, she says, I'm finally comfortable wearing my heart on my sleeve, adding that she feels a bit like the little engine that could, conquering daunting obstacles through sheer persistence. She says, I hope I give encouragement to everybody who writes songs in the bathtub and thinks they suck. There is hope. It's really nice to, like, find your artistic audience, you know, if you really believe in yourself, the work that you do, and if you're really honest, and then it gets rewarded by, like, people who are really interested in what you're doing. Like, it's, like, the best feeling. And Tori, even back then, like, she always has, there are moments when she's just so motherly, you know? Like, she just wants to take these little people under her wing and and encourage, she's very encouraging. And she kind of had these moments sprinkled throughout different interviews and quotes, even when she was back then at this age, you know? David, go ahead and read this from B-Side Magazine, your favorite magazine of all time, June 1992. Tori laughs about how her audience becomes incredibly focused on her music when she performs. They know it better than I do. <laughs> she, mocks, she mocks her audience. She mm. laughs at us. They know it better than I do. I found in England some of these people know the words better than me. I'd go, my God. I started Happy Phantom wrong. I used and instead of so or the wrong conjunction. And it was just like the people in the front row just looked at me like, hey, you can't fool me, babe. Go read your lyric sheet. Proofreaders in the front row, she snickers. <laughs> babe. To be fair, she should have started with so and of and that's all i just gotta say i have to say this episode um happy phantom episode and your interview with heather Matarazzo, she's so great i mean when you guys announced or whatever that she was gonna be on that episode i was like oh my god that movie welcome to the dollhouse i believe it came out in like spring of 96 in the u.s and so mm. it was around uh, shortly after boys for pele came out so for me and my my BFF at the time, Don, that movie Don and Wiener? Boys for Pele were like, what? Your best friend was uh, Don. Oh, Don Wiener. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was her name, right? So, yeah, my my friend's name was Don. Yeah. So, um, but just everything about that movie was like, oh my god, we just devoured it, and so I was so excited that that she was included and you guys got to have that little chat with her, and I loved her insight and her thoughts. She was very. Um, she just seemed unlike me. She was able to get her thoughts out really easily. And it was- 
Poem time. Happy naughties truly. David, take it away. Mm, show me your naughties. It would truly make me happy. That was my poem. Was it? Oh, my God. Uh, word for word. Basically. Then you both win. David, we've melded. <laughs> Finally, it was bound to happen. This is Spencer Day and Effie Pacero with their cover of China. China All the way to New York I can feel the distance Getting close You're right next to me But I need an airplane I can feel the distance As you breathe Sometimes I think you want me to touch you Our seventh episode in the season, China, came out January 8th, 2020. Shaggy chimed in to say, At the San Diego O2 meet and greet, someone asked for Imagine, which she put on the set list, but it wasn't coming to her, so she played Abbey Road instead. But she couldn't remember all of it, so she played China next. Wow, Thanks, what Shaggy. a roller coaster. I know. <laughs> Why don't you read this random bit of Tory trivia from ilikeyouroldstuff.com from March 2nd, 2017. Why don't the two of you read it in tandem? Tori Amos recorded the original demo for the Days of Thunder tune, Show Me Heaven, for her friend, composer Hans Zimmer. In her autobiography, Piece by Piece, Amos says she was paid around $150 to lay down the vocal for the song, which themed the 1990 Tom Cruise film. Considering the song was a global smash for Maria McKee, how different would the career of Tori Amos have been if she'd had her first hit with someone else's song before she made a name for herself with Little Earthquakes. My mother also asked me that. She said to me, wouldn't it have been the most disastrous thing for you if you'd been successful singing things that don't reflect who you are as a musician? I don't know what path I would have taken. Well, I looked for Show Me Heaven, the demo. I searched for it endlessly on YouTube, well, for like 15 minutes, and I couldn't find it. I hope one day it gets released. It was apparently written in the stars, though, that Tori would at some point be on the soundtrack to a Tom Cruise movie, because she ended up on MI2. <laughs> Good point. Before Little Earthquakes provided her with a breakthrough, Amos recorded an unreleased album of dance tracks with U.S. producer Narada Michael Walden. Another unreleased track from the 1980s includes Skirts on Fire, which was co-written with U.S. American Idol judge Randy Jackson. You know, that's kind of a funny thing to think about, the two of them hunkering down and i love that you put these here shay because it's like since china was the earliest thing she wrote for the album it's nice to like revisit what she was doing prior to china you know like in the right. 85 to 88 years mm-hmm. um let's read this Agreed. from keyboard review february 92 however she's not a luddite 
She used Kurtzweil's synthesizers on her album and EP. The songs that weren't orchestrated, I played quite a bit on the sample strings. I played the piano and I could keep up with myself. Most of it was freestyle playing. Says Tori, who prefers the natural feeling created by a free tempo rather than the precision of working with a click track. Pauses, feeling, that's what we miss so much when the machines don't stop. On China, it was freestyle. My God, did those strings have to keep up. China was just a piano vocal live performance, and everything was built around that. Why don't you read this from What's on London, March 2nd, 1994, David? Why can't Tori Reid came out at a time when I was very weak? Not weak as in insipid, but weak as in I could be swayed by anyone. That was my horror stage. That was when I didn't care about the music. I just wanted, I needed attention. It's so crazy, though. When word of that album came out, I got ripped to shreds by the press. Like, they suggested that with little earthquakes, I'd suddenly reinvented myself. You don't write a record like that unless you've been put on your knees, unless you've been through something. People who suggest otherwise have no fucking idea. Who the fuck are those people anyway? My papa used to say you cannot judge a man until you've walked in his moccasins. The people who make these accusations don't even know me. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> Ow, it's on fire. <laughs> yeah, this reminds me so much of the time I wrote a mockery song for Tori Amos called Mock a Sin. Yeah, right. Who did Remember that? Remember that song I wrote? Yeah, there's forget? been a lot of conflict over the credits on that song. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm clearly, clearly we were making a mockery of moccasins. Uh, Round and round she goes. Chris Gray wrote us again to say, hey guys, just listen to your excellent China episode. This is pure speculation, but on one of your earlier episodes for another song, you interviewed a friend of Tori's from LA in the 80s, and this person dropped into the conversation that at the time they were hanging out, Tori was dating a guy named Clay. As far as I'm aware, this is the one and only reference to this person, but I got me wondering if China is about Clay, this potentially obviously adding in another dimension to the meaning behind the song and the China ceramic symbolism. This might be way off, but it feels quite Tory to me in terms of logic and wordplay. Other evidence supporting this little theory is that it was written in 1987. The timing is just right for a pre-Eric song, and the emotional space that China occupies is very much pre-breakup, which always made me think it was not about Eric, but about an earlier relationship that did end. I may be way off, and I guess we'll never know if China is really made of clay, quote-unquote. Just wanted to share this with you. Keep up the great work. Chris, I'm sold. Are you? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's a could be. I think this is, a. I mean, it's possible. It seems like a little bit of a stretch to me. It reminds me of that scene in Reality Bites where Winona Ryder is calling the psychic hotline and the woman is like, I'm getting, I'm getting an N. And she's like, newsstand. He works at a newsstand. This isn't, this is incredible. (laughs) How do you do it? (laughs) Hey, no, I think it could, I mean, I just don't think the song can be about Eric because it is about the end of a relationship and they were like at the beginning of the relationship if it was written in 87 88 you know i'm with you chris david give us your poem Mm. distance wall cracks mexico i'd go the distance to wall up your cracks (laughs) i love mexico oh my god that was my poem (laughs) no it was not shut up (laughs) the great wall of mexico has cracks you big pussy thank you that was was about trump yes i know Okay, because of that, you are the winner, Efren Jr. Thank um, you, finally. I kind of feel like this is fixed. I don't know why. Look, I'm standing naked before you. Don't you want more than my sex? I can scream as loud as you last one.
Our eighth episode in the season, Leather, came out January 22nd, 2020, and Chrissy Olsen wrote us to say, hey ya, just listen to Leather, and I wanted to mention that Leather has always reminded me of Turn Back, Oh Man, from Godspell. Tori had to have been influenced by it, subconsciously or otherwise. You should listen to it. It sounds like a striptease cabaret song. I only know this song because my brother and sister went to Catholic school, and they were in production called Bits of Broadway, where they performed a few songs from a few Broadway shows. Pretty random grouping of shows. That said, I know other Godspell songs because my parents had a guitar group at it's, I love how Chrissy defends why she happens to know Godspell songs. Just admit it, mm. Chrissy, you like Godspell. <laughs> that said, I know other Godspell songs because my parents had a guitar group at our church and they did a lot of those songs like Day by Day and Prepare Ye. They never did Turn Back, Oh Man, but it always stuck out to me with bits of a Broadway show. Seemed oddly sexual sounding for middle school aged kids to be singing at a Catholic school. Love you guys, Chrissy. Let's play it here. your seat. Turn back, oh man, this is my good side. Turn back, oh man, so is this one. Forswear thy foolish ways. See you later, I'm going to the front of the theater. I hadn't heard it before, but listening to it, I hear more like that guy than leather. And that wouldn't surprise me because of Abnormally Attracted to Sin being from Guys and Dolls. I think Tori was really just like in her musicals face. Oh, interesting. Mm. But Tori was in a performance of Godspell, right? You're so right. Oh my God. We're uncovering it. Tori was in a performance of Godspell. Remember that one picture we have of her in the Before There Were Stars behind the music where she's like sitting on the ground in Godspell? Well, since you put it all together, David, you get to make your poem first and then Shay, you get to go. Okay. In a sense, I guess you could say I'm in a pissy mood, and it's not the weather. <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> that really resonates with me. Does it? <laughs> what about you, Shay? Um, this is not the weather talking in a sense. It's more the earth, period. Ooh, I love it. I love a globally Ooh. conscious poem. You both win. Yay! I know David needs a poetic win right now. I need a moral victory and a poetic win.
That was a performance of the intro by Emily Cousins, who we interviewed on our mother episode. She actually transcribed that intro, and that's sort of the backstory of how she got so close with mother, which also acts as a great time to remind you about a wonderful website, figuretoryout.com, run by our friend Paul Roy. 20 years of the Tori Amos transcription Yahoo group, Figure Tori Out, live tracks, rarities, studio tracks. You have to be a member to see the archive, but it's free to become a member. So get it done. FigureToryOut.com. Our ninth episode of the season, Mother, was released March 26th, 2020. And I know this song comes into your top two for both of you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me why you love this song. Say it in one sentence. <sighs> like, get to the heart of why you love Mother. For me, I can't. You can't do that to me. But I, I, I'll say <laughs> that the... Vocals in the piano, <laughs> both parts of the song, are so <laughs> warm, <laughs> so warm and inviting and pure. Like her voice is so pure and yearning, and it just has always put me in a place of safety, even though you know the lyrics don't always paint that, but it's just. I love this song, and I don't have to tell you why. I don't have to speak <laughs> on it on this podcast. David, you're you're better with words. Take it up. Take I it don't up. think that is true at all. I agree that there's something very warm about it, and even though it's just piano and vocal, there are several like just small musical moments that I'll sometimes like skip back to and listen over and over again to. And I think mm. it has some of my favorite lyrics of all time. And it's kind of crazy to me that there's kind of these parallel, in my opinion, these parallel stories of kind of an actual mother-child relationship, but we're actually talking about maybe the journey of the soul from the source or from mother. And I think the song actually does a lot to encapsulate Tori's kind of spiritual belief system. It's kind of like a mission statement for like what she believes in some ways. That's really beautiful. That is really beautiful. I had never like, it's not that I haven't ever connected with mother because I certainly have, but I've never considered it one of like, and I'm no longer surprised by how many people like are so drawn to mother, you know, because so many people are, but I've never considered it one of my like top draws on the album. So it's always interesting to me. It speaks to me of a certain kind of person that is drawn to mother. And I think that maybe you both have similar qualities and that you both like are super, as far as I know, you both pay attention to the details, obviously. I know that about David for sure, but obviously you must as well, Shay, for doing what you do for us, all the details. In the Buffalo News on October 18th, 1992, Tori says, When I was five, I didn't think about what people would think. I just thought about feeling strong about what I was doing. And then for years and years and years, I became an addict of approval. I still have to work really hard at it. We're taught to look to the outside. We look to others and ask, what do you think, instead of what I feel? Now I want to make music that feels truthful to me. I'm not trying to have hit songs. There's got to be a point where musicians make music because we're musicians, not because of what's expected of us. In so many ways, that's what music has become, and that's why so many of us are really angry with ourselves. I love that. I mean, it's true. David, why don't you present us with your award-winning mother poem? Oh my god, we're already assuming. With the words, other, dancing, clever, and moon. Uh, I feel so clever when I'm dancing under the moon. I never want to do any other thing. Oh, I thought you were really going to go, I feel so clever dancing under the moon with another. Oh, that's better. Next up, we have a cover of Tear in Your Hand by someone named Santonius Luckett. We found it on YouTube, and I'm going to link to it in our show notes at songsoftoryamus.com. And I genuinely love this. I think it's so earnest. Yeah, I just really, really love this. So roll it, Ollie. This is a cover. Uh, if you know who Tori Amos is, I love Tori Amos. So I love Tori. She's fantastic. Yeah, da, da, 
Review February 1992. On stage, she appears solo with just a piano and has had to experiment how to present herself. I needed to find out how I was comfortable with myself. That keeps changing, but that's okay. The main thing about performing live solo is that you have a lot of time out there alone, and it's about claiming the stage. You have to claim your right to be there. Some people don't claim the stage, you know, they just want to sing their songs and get off. But I get up there and I really feel Look, I'd rather be home reading a book than doing this if we don't correspond. I'm not doing this to practice my chops. Maybe they need practice, but I don't care. I'm doing it so we can cherish something. Each show is different. There are a few when I felt like, what am I doing here? Where can I go? Where's the Malaysian restaurant down the street? Because this is just not happening. There's no vibe. There's nothing. And when you're playing Bottom Bill in some London dive, you have to put up with the fact that many people are waiting for the headline band. They want to talk, get a drink, in fact, anything rather than listen to the music. I've been doing this since I came to London. I started playing at the Mean Fiddler in June last year, and it's just been a constant battle. People would actually be leaning on the piano and yakking and having a conversation. I can tell you what one girl bought at the stores that day. I had to stop in the middle of my song just to say, hey, it's you or me, because I can't even remember what I'm doing. If I couldn't play live, I don't know if I'd do any of this. Live music is the most thrilling, period. You're doing this because you feel you have something to communicate and it either gets received or it doesn't but this is what you do because you love it i live for that i really hunger for it it's either in your blood or it's not says tori who sometimes has to remind audiences that there's no drummer or backing band due to join her on stage can I ask Shay a question about tear in your hand? Shay, can I ask you a question about tear in your hand? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Who's... Uh, no, ask me for permission. Yes, you may, David. <laughs> permission granted. <laughs> permission granted. I'm the shade keeper. Oh. Ah, I'm the shade keeper. Okay. <laughs> whose tear is in whose hand? Who is saying you don't know the power that you have with that tear in your hand? Is someone saying it to Tori or is she saying it to someone else? I think she's saying it maybe even to herself. Yeah, I think she's she's saying it to the other person or could be to herself because she's having all these thoughts throughout the song and in that ending moment it's like a realization, you know, like oh my god, like I I've had this the whole time. It's been with me the whole time and it just took me till this very instant to realize that. Mm. Do you remember where we landed with that, David? No. <laughs> Sorry, I don't. All right. Hit us with your award-winning poem, David. Dream King, Danglin, Darlin, Haze, Days. Spark it, Darlin. I want to be in a haze. I got to get that daze. I want to talk to the Dream King. My junk is dangling. 
Girl, you are a rapper. These are just like, this is a stream of cunt. This is an Alanis Morissette song. <laughs> <laughs> Except for she'd call it the dream queen. Of course. Yeah. She's the dream queen of pain. <laughs> this is a remix of Me and a Gun that we did not play on the episode, but I wish that we had. This is the Project Gestalten remix. Enjoy. our 11th episode of the season our longest episode ever me and a gun on october 7th 2020 and boy was that a feat to put together we invited shaggy on to talk about his feelings about her performance in uh 2007 of me and a gun with the band and we invited shannon on to talk about her website pandies.org since then shannon has stepped down after 20 years of service more than 20 years of service she stepped down and uh there's a new president of pandies.org so congratulations shannon on your getting your life back after 21 years and also thank you for your service yeah why don't you read this this is from an old email i found on rmta and the email was written on monday june 8th 1992 at 11 32 p.m. at 59 seconds. This is from Garant Jones. Does anyone know the story of the 14-year-old Irish girl to whom Tori dedicates me and a gun? From the Hot Press interview, I gather she was raped, got pregnant, and the state refused to allow her to have an abortion. But does anyone know? That was the original email, and this is the response. You gather more or less right. I think she's no longer exactly 14 and no longer pregnant, having had an abortion in Britain. The story was such a cause because the state not only denied her the option of an abortion in the Republic, but also the opportunity to travel abroad for an abortion. It became clear that this was going to lead to trouble, but, or and, as the cause may be, the Supreme Court eventually ruled on appeal that there was a fair chance that she would kill herself if made to go through with it, and so it would be allowable for her to have an abortion. Abortion on any other grounds than a reasonable belief that the mother's life is in danger is forbidden by a provision of the Constitution of the Republic. But it has become clear that the bizarre circumstances of this case were not at the front of everyone's mind when the clause was framed. Freedom of travel is a hot topic in Europe at present, and some of the business would be covered by an exception to the Maastricht Agreement, which would allow the Irish Republic to continue to do this sort of thing to its citizens. You can expect this one to run and run. Damn. And this is still happening. We learned as recently as 20, was it 16, that uh, Audrey and Daisy came out. Nothing's changed from 2016 either. That's not what I'm saying. But we've learned that this isn't something that is any less of a problem today than it was then, you know. Sick. Um, Sickening. 
Our last and final and only live episode of the season, Little Earthquakes, was released on November 30th, 2020, but it was recorded live on October 24th, 2020. What did you think of recording live? What did you think of our Digital Ghosts Torimus fan convention and recording a podcast live? It was appropriately scary for Halloween to be so <laughs> in the moment, but no, I actually thought it went really well and I had a good time. It was so cool to be able to interact with people on the spot and kind of bring them in to join the conversation. I agree. I think we should do more live episodes. What do you think? Let's do them all live. Well, maybe we will. Let's you never know. Let's live in live through this. I was just going to say, as a listener, I listened while you were you were recording and also when you released it um and it was really it was actually a really cool experience too to just be you know there on the sidelines looking in and listening um so i agree i think you guys should do more of those if you're up to it what do you think about coming into co-host is it any different now than when you when you listened in um no yeah i mean this is fun yeah it's totally different but I'm really enjoying this. I, it's for so many years, you know, I'm like that meme of that kid sitting in front of the billboard with people eating ice cream on this picture and he's like laughing along with them. You know, like <laughs> I feel like that that is me with you guys. And I felt like that since the beginning. Um, but, but now hosting with you guys, it's been really cool and really fun and, you know, kind of the behind the scenes experience. But yeah, I'm really enjoying this. I like your co-hosting skills, Shay. What do you think, David? Oh. Yeah, of course. No doubt. Should we have her back on in four album cycles when we get to From the Choir Girl Hotel? Sure. We need to book Shay early, four albums out, to make sure she's available. Right. So let's establish <laughs> that now. Commodity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shay, since you're so hot, why don't you read this from Hot Press, 26 March 1992. When I go to the piano, another world happens. Little Earthquakes is that world. I go to these worlds, their inner reflections of the outer world that I can't figure out. Is she talking about the song or the album? I think it's the album. Yeah, I think like all the songs are a different world, kind of like what she said. Yeah. Read this, David, from Alicia Scholl, who commented on the episode. Okay. I love the Live Little Earthquakes episode. I couldn't make it to Digital Ghosts, but I wanted to add, we laughed in the faces of kings never afraid to burn as speaking truth to power. Resistance and defying authority has been Tory from the start. I also think of those politicians at the hotel piano bars in D.C., the hunters at the Christmas parties, underscoring the liquid handshake with Muzak and how Tory was just sick of being silent. And she's now emerging, howling, freeing her soul in this ending track. <laughs> Love it so much. I have to tell you, I had the experience with Little Earthquakes, unlike any other song on this album. I think Little Earthquakes blossomed for me during the recording, you know, like as we talked about it. I understood the song in a completely different way, more so than any other song on the album, I think, or that's my feeling now looking back on it, is that I understand, like I never had considered the friendships in the song. I never had considered what we laughed in the faces of Kings really meant, like the emotion behind that. It just was something that really opened itself up to me, hearing your perspective, David, hearing everybody that spoke on that episode, hearing Elise, talking to Elise about it. And I love that we kind of got to a place where this song is about relationships, friendships, and community, and that we recorded it kind of in that container of the community of the podcast. Oh, 
This is from Keyboard Magazine, September 1992. Tori says, with my own stuff, I know when it's not happening because I have pains in my stomach when it's not. I guess I'm really lucky for that. When a mix is up and I have to run to the toilet, there need to be no words said. You can't just walk out of the studio because you're ill. And I think that when you have so much love for it, it just affects you like that. The other thing is, I'll go, I'm going to write four different bridges for this song and we'll just see who wins the prize. And then it's like, what if I change the chorus? What if I just cut it in half? That all happens sometimes. You can't be afraid. And I used to be of experimenting. Boy, I can never come back to that. What's that saying? I don't have it yet. We always want to be able to just get it. I was able to get to the place on this record where it was okay if I didn't have it yet. I'd walk around with these songs stalking me. We'd be going out to a movie and I'd start jittering. The songs themselves, they want to be something. I would just open myself up to reading things and it would show me that I didn't have to say I'm leaving by saying I'm leaving. That's what watching a lot of movies does for me. I see how the camera angle goes. I see how the lighting is. How do they get this across? You know, right like you're a camera. The other big thing is keeping my musical vocabulary up. Why do I always go to this change? It gets to be a habit. Your ears get so used to it. I want to resolve it here. A string arranger once said to me, you can't do this. You can't go here. And I went, who said that? Who made up that rule? And what grave is he in over in Europe? Who cares? The worms have eaten him. It's over. (laughs) That's where the vision gets lost. But you have to know when it's working or not. And I know when it works, it's really great. I'm so glad I do. And when it doesn't, it's unacceptable to let it fly, even if that tune never gets out. Were there any compromises on Little Earthquakes? Songwriting-wise, there were no compromises. Absolutely none. Every note and every lyric, none. It always comes down to, could the hi-hat have been this or whatever? There's always 100,000 choices. Did I want this effect on my voice? I go through those things, but hey, they are what they are. This record is what it is. You've got to stop somewhere. You've got to cut the string. Mm. (sighs) Nice job. Mm, Thank you. (laughs) I'm exhausted that quote was so long. Yeah, we're all exhausted. That was a big one. (laughs) Why don't you read our final... Final quote of the day, Shay, since you're our co-host. This is from the Baltimore Sun, January 30th, 1994. Little Earthquakes was an acknowledgement of things I hadn't looked at for 15 years in some cases. You tell everybody and other people say, I know what that's like too. And there's this energy and liberation you get from doing that. But then what happens? Well, everybody goes home and you're sitting there. There was a deep fall after that because I didn't have the same feeling of freedom as when I first discovered certain things. So what do I do with the rest of my life? I can't write little earthquakes again. I didn't think I was going to go into another record so fast. But as soon as I got off the road, Silent All These Years came to me. They're all alive, these songs. They're all alive. And said, these are the girls I've been hanging out with. When they showed up, I went, oh, God, I just really want to, like, lie on the hammock and stuff. But they said, well, it's cold and you can't lie on the hammock anyway, so check us out. The first thing that comes to me, the first thing that jumps out to me is her reference again that Silent All These Years ushered in the new song. She is the leader of the Do you remember that quote? Yes. Yeah. So I speculate that to mean she's playing Silent All These Years on the piano and it begins to morph into you know, a chord change or like something similar sonically in that song is similar to the first song that came from Under the Pink Mm -hmm. is how I interpret that. Like there's kind of similarity there. How do you interpret that, both of you? Was Pretty Good Year the first one that she wrote for Under the Pink? Do you know? I think it was. I think she kind of talks about Here in My Head coming very late and she regrets putting it out and that she should have saved it for Under the Pink and that Pretty Good Year came around the same time. 
or like right after so i'm pretty sure yeah yeah because i could see that being the first you know like if she was like Ephraim just said if if she was just noodling and playing silent all these years at home on the piano and pretty good year being the first one to kind of come from that same piano story you know only when you just said that david only just now did it occur to me how similar in terms of like rhythm the intro to here in my head is to silent all these years yeah I'm not Ooh, about to are it. these triplet song sisters because we Ooh. probably talked about it yeah but, but you, you just... can also hear like <laughs> from silent into pretty yeah, good year you cannot... oh my god there you go you did it you guys loving figured it out another another little secret good job that that oh, was it finally our work here is done <laughs> It's time for our final poem. Let's all three do one. And the two capitalized words are color and rip. And put some heart into it, people. Look alive. All right. I'll go first. I am going to stand at the top of this building and rip everything from my body to show my true colors to the world. Here I am. Take me oh my or gosh. leave me. <laughs> That was triumphant. I love it. Oh, my God. I felt a very Song of Solomon moment there. Yeah, she just, you know, she just presented little earthquakes to the world. So that is the uh, feeling that comes with standing on top of that building with no clothes or skin. I was going to just say showing your bare ass to the world, but if you're taking off your skin. Well, because it's, yeah, she's going to show what's under the pink, right? So it's time. Oh, that's right. Here we go. Yeah. All right, David, you go. I feel like I've been going first or only this whole time. I think I should go last. (laughs) I've been going first or only. (laughs) Okay, let's see. Well, here I sit, having ripped my heart to bits. The color blood red, the mood blood dead. There you go. Damn. (laughs) Mrs. Comer, where are you? (laughs) Oh my God, Mrs. Comer, are you here? (laughs) She'd be so proud. She would be. She put that at the beginning of the literary magazine. Yes. All right, David, the moment of truth. Okay. I'm going to. saved the winning poem for the last. Oh, crap. All right. You can do it. Because there's only two words, I'm going to go rogue and use the additional two words for me and a gun. Oh, my word. Um, Who's that gigolo on the street with his hands in his pockets and his crocodile feet? Barbe uno, barbe dos. I love Carolina most. Rip it up, rip it down, color me bad. Hell yeah, MC Anderson up in the hizzy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That feels weird. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Since we have no live section in this episode, we just wanted to say we received word that there are certain dates on the 92 tour shirt that are not listed in the biography. And those dates are March 21st, 1992 in Dublin, March 22nd, 1992 in Belfast, April 1st, 1992 in Southampton, and that date was later taken off the shirt. Mm. And then May 29th, 1992 in Seoul, Korea, which itself would have been the only time I know of her to be playing Korea, right? Mm. I think so. Uh, yeah. I so I guess we'll never know. I guess we will never, ever know the extent of that tour. Things pop up and You can use all your two or three minutes at the next meet and greet to see if she remembers. Or maybe ask Johnny. <laughs> yeah. I dared to once ask her about her set lists and she gave me like this blank look like I have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) set lists from the 92 tour no
Well, I had a blast. What about the two of you? Yeah, I'm blasted. I had a great time. Yeah, this has been really fun with you guys. Thanks for inviting me. I really appreciated that on our wrap-up episode, David chose to wrap up. Yeah. I'm not sure that I chose so much as the responsibility was forced <laughs> upon out. me, but okay. If you like what we do, head over to our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Songs of Tori Amos. And if you really like what we do, you can head over to patreon.com slash Songs Amos, where you can become a supporter today. We have many different perks at many different levels, mostly extra audio content. That's exciting. If you have anything to say to us personally, you can email us, songsofterimus at gmail.com, or you can call us, 323-296-9955. Leave us a VM. Slide into our DMs. Write us a PM. What else? Carpe DM? Yes, exactly. Do it. And then finally, please, if you have a moment in your day after this three-hour episode, please write us a review on iTunes. It really helps in the algorithm. I'm shocked that we're not, we are not and never have been the first podcast podcast that pops up when you type in Tori Amos. Still, We've devoted huh? our lives to her. And look, no, every, any podcast has more subscribers than us, like anything on NPR. The moment they put like the word Tori Amos in their description, they pop up way ahead of us. Yeah, so, and I just, NPR, we're coming for you. I just looked. We haven't had a new review posted since November. So your holiday break oh, is over. People. Get to work. <laughs> take your husband's phone. Take your wife's phone. Take your sister's phone. Take your mom's phone. Brother, your neighbor. Take all the phones and just write some reviews. Thank you. Five stars, please. <laughs> Anything else that we have to say before we head off into the distance? I'm just really excited for the B-sides. I think it's Upside Down that'll be coming first, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be a journey all its own. So I'm looking forward to it. And thanks again for inviting me along. Oh, girl, thank you so much for all the work that you do, honestly. Like, yes. we could not do it without you. It would take, we would be so far behind where we are now if we were doing it without you. It has become truly, like, the thing that we rely on the most on this is that those documents are ready for us, and you do a fabulous job. Mm. And I think every wrap-up, Shay should come in and just give her opinion. Oh, what for sure. Think, yeah. Well, it's my absolute pleasure to be part of this amazing show. So I would do it mm-hmm. anytime, any day. So... Yay! Thanks, Shay. David, anything else to say before we run away? The time is now, because this is the wrap-up, so... I can't wait to talk about Upside Down with you, David. Me too. Any kind of episode, I guess, is better than none, even Upside Down. (laughs) We should record the episode Upside Down, David. (laughs) We should record the episode in, like, Gravity Boots. Okay. (laughs) I will absolutely take that. Like George Michael in that Freedom (laughs) video. (laughs) So method, like when we were going to go to the Abbey to talk to Twinks about Twinkle. This has been a blast. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamus.com.